podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Phillips Laven of the 1012 Podcast here. Have you been listening to this show for a while and thought, you know, if that guy can do this, then so can I? Well, you're, you're probably right. And it's worth giving a shot. The one question you're going to ask yourself is, how do I get my podcast out for everyone to listen to on iTunes, on Spotify? Well, you're going to need a hosting site. And if I may make a suggestion, go with Anchor. It's easy and it's free, which is great for podcast hobbyists uh, who aren't exactly expecting this to make a lot of income, especially starting out. Anchor is fantastic. Anchor by Spotify is the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need in one place. It has the tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your show on listening platforms like we mentioned Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And again, it is totally free. It's fantastic. It is what we use. And if it's what we use, it's what we're going to suggest to others. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that is the Anchor app or anchor.fm to get started with your podcast. Welcome to the 1012, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 14, then 12. Who the hell knows? I am your host, Philip. Thank you for joining us on this Monday. Uh, just as a heads up, there's going to be a baby in this house any day now. So there will be a brief by hiatus. I've got an episode prepped in the can, ready to go, that's just going to randomly go out one day. And when it does, it'll say, if this episode is playing, that means that Philip is currently nursing, or, well, not nursing, but feeding <laughs> a very, very brand new newborn. <laughs> Wife is nursing, I'm just bottle feeding. Ha ha. Uh, so, just as a heads up, so everybody aware is what's going on. Uh, two people here joining me today. we got a lot to talk about. Uh, as he always does on Mondays, he is back. We're thrilled to have him. Andy Mitz. Yeah, not always. I mean, you know, I'm making my triumphant return after Kansas won the national title in basketball. It's a little weird to say that this is the first time I'm back, but yes, it's great to be back. It's good to have you. It's good to have you. I know Jamie today, uh, this episode's coming out on Monday. Sunday was her birthday. Uh, so should we let her have the day off to celebrate and have a good time? So if you haven't yet, hop on Twitter at J Styes, J S T E Y Z, and give our good friend Jamie Steyer Johnson, J S J herself, a belated happy birthday message in her stead because I really want to have some a conversation and a few questions about West Virginia and some West Virginia connections. So if I'm going to talk West Virginia, I mean, I'm, I'm going to go to our show, Raspy Voice Kids, part of the 1012 Network, and bring on one of the Raspy Voice boys, Brandon Phoenix, joining us today. Brandon, welcome back, man. Hey, thanks for having me, man. And shout out to JSJ on another trip around the sun. It's always fun. Good for her. Glad I could be here instead. Yeah, you know, her, her loss, well, I guess her gains are, I don't know. We're all, everyone's happy, okay? This is a joyous occasion. Real thrilled for it. Uh, she got some fun news. We all got some fun news related to Iowa State uh, today. Look, typically Homefield Apparel tells me like anything related to the Big 12. We got the refreshes for Houston. There was three new shirts. We got the refresh for West Virginia. I know there's a couple of shirts headed to Jeremy and Brandon from that, those two new shirts that popped up for Homefield. But then they announced on Twitter on Sunday, hey, there's refreshes coming this week for Iowa and Iowa State. And I'm like, uh, Whitney, what, yeah, a, what happened? Best- 
the best part is that Jamie like texted Philip and I and was like, why did you not tell me? And our response was, we had no idea. So guess what, Iowa State fans? There is a home field apparel refresh coming for the Cyclones and the Hawkeyes on the same day on May 4th. You're going to get some new Iowa State gear. And I mean, look, it's a little bit unfair because like Iowa State's already loaded with a bunch of amazing stuff at home field apparel. Like you guys can go without a refresh for a little bit. There's some other schools who need it more than you. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm happy for Iowa State fans to be getting some new gear. Uh, it's just another reason to go and shop at Homefield. And if you haven't done that yet, if you haven't actually bought anything at Homefield Apparel, well, you're in luck. Now's the time. Go use our promo code NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, and get 15% off your first order. That includes everything on there. It's anything and everything. Whether you're a fan of Iowa State, West Virginia, Texas, Texas Tech, Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, Kansas, uh, Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, UCF, or any of the more than 100 schools available at homefieldapparel.com. Furman, okay, IUPUI, ooey pooey. Indiana, okay, USC, OU fans, just kidding. St. Peter's, the St. Peter, the threat of destiny shirt, it's just all time. Tulane, Green Wave stuff. You can't not like the green wave. Anyways, Iowa State refresh coming this week, May 4th. Get excited, fans. I know you are. I know Jamie is. I can I can promise you right now she's already like got those birthday dollars locked and loaded and ready to spend. So go to homefieldapparel.com, home of the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever see, ever wear. Don't forget our promo code NETWORK12 for 15% off your first purchase. Okay, we've got a range of topics to get to today, and we'll get to as many of them as we can. We should probably kick things off with the NFL draft, which wrapped this past weekend. No Big 12 t- players in the first round again. Okay, whatever. Cool. I, I, I'm not as upset. I don't... It doesn't bother me. Like, there's an offensive lineman from, from Tulsa, and most people are like, eh, it was a reach. There's a lot of people who were reaches, right? It's fine. Like, I, it was a story that lasted a few days. It doesn't upset me. It doesn't. And part of that, it's unbiased. I'm a Big 12 fan. What can I say? Uh, Big 12 finished tied for third with the Pac-12 behind the SEC and the Big 10 for uh, picks by conference for Power 5. Big 12 got 25. Now, hold up a second. Let's just let's just do something real quick. That's the current makeup of the Big 12. This is the more interesting topic for me. The current 10-team makeup of the Big 12 had 25 players drafted. No thanks to Texas. No help there. Uh, the new look Big 12, when Oklahoma and Texas, the most talented teams in the conference, leave the conference, and we bring in, yes, 12 teams instead of 10, but still, BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston, that new look conference, if it existed this year for this draft, 32 players went in the NFL draft. Cincinnati had themselves a a weekend, and I mean, it makes sense considering how good their season was. Uh, we got four in the second round. Congrats to Brees Hall being the first Big 12 player picked in the draft. He's off to the Jets in a situation that does not help my fantasy team because I drafted Michael Carter last year. Thanks a lot, Jets. I think most fantasy teams are screwed because of all the wide receivers that went. That is not the point of this conversation. The point of the conversation I want to have with you guys, I we all know the recruiting struggles in the Big 12. When Oklahoma and Texas leave, there's no one who's recruiting top 25 consistently. Certainly no one top 15. Certainly no one top 10. Maybe a school can figure out how to deal with their budget in a way that allows them to do so. Yes, budget. Or finds the way to get an edge in NIL that allows them to recruit better recruiting classes. But for right now, that's just not the case. So it's going to be hard to get a lot of first-round picks 
out of the conference unless you just get some guys. And it happens every once in a while. It would shock me if next year there's not a first-round pick out of the Big 12. There's just too much talent in this conference. And if running backs were appreciated the way that we many think they should, <coughs> Parker, not Park included, uh, our good friend Parker Fleming, because, you know, running backs don't matter, uh, Brees Hall might have gone in the first round. All of that aside, how much do you guys care, or what is the one big takeaway you might have had from the Big 12 situation after the NFL draft, or just the NFL draft in general? If there's one guy in particular like this guy, he went to this team, and I hate it. So whatever you got, whatever thoughts you have, Andy, why don't you take it first? Well, I mean, I was obviously happy that, you know, Kansas beat Texas in football yet again by getting a player drafted in the NFL draft, Kyron Johnson going to the Eagles in the sixth round. Um, I was not expecting to be saying that, you know, I assume that Texas would find a way to get someone drafted. But, you know, I, I really think that what this speaks to is just, just the fact that, yes, the Big 12, a lot of the teams that have been performing really well do not have really high, you know, blue chip ratio recruiting. Um, a lot of their players that make it to the league will actually stick in the league because they're players that have developed over the course of their college careers. There are a lot of, I think, Big 12 players that, you know, fill out rosters that are like, they, they stick around for a while, but they're not the big flashy names that everybody thinks about. And I, so I do think that the big 12 gets a little bit of a bad rap, you know, especially in a year like this. Um, but the other thing that really kind of struck me in this year, this was a really weird year for the draft. Like there was not very many quarterbacks taken. Um, they weren't taken very high. Like there was a lot of people talking about how many runs on wide receivers there were and, you know, defensive backs. And like, there was just a lot of, things that all came together at just the right time to make it so that I don't think this draft we're going to look back on it and think that it's normal in any fashion at all there was just a lot of really strange things happening yeah and I, I mean the draft was strange but it was not strange to me to see somebody in the big 12 go in the first round West Virginia also did not have a draft pick so everybody's making fun of Texas and I understand the difference between West Virginia and Texas but we also did not have a draft pick so that wasn't a lot of fun it wasn't a surprise, though. This was this was anticipated. I said on Twitter before it happened that I would not expect anybody to be dropped. In fact, I would have been shocked had anybody gone high. Letty Brown, I think, was 26 out of 27 running backs in his 40-yard dash. And that's not going to get it. You're not going to get in the league that way. Uh, he did sign an undrafted free agent contract with the Chargers. I don't expect him to make the team. But we'll see what happens. Um, really, if you look at it, though, recruiting – pretty consistent I mean, aside from Texas that's what make, makes Texas such a mess they have the recruits they're not developing them the big 12 as a whole does not have the recruits you look at you look at the recruiting rankings and it's consistent the higher you the better you recruit the more or the more likely you are to land people into the NFL and it's a big deal to me that my team didn't have my team didn't have anybody drafted because it's really hard to go into kids' living rooms and say, we can get you to your ultimate goal. For most of these kids, their ultimate goal is playing in the NFL. And Neil Brown so far has not been able to put guys in the league. And so hopefully that changes. Recruiting seems to have picked up. And that's the biggest, that's the biggest issue when you're trying to get guys in the NFL is you got to get you got to get dudes. If you don't have dudes, you're probably not putting people in the league. So uh, that's where we are. And I, I think most Mountaineer fans weren't really disappointed. I think it was par for the course. We just expected it to happen the way it did. Um, I, I was, you know, if I'm an Oklahoma fan or a Texas fan, I would be concerned, but it doesn't really matter Oklahoma because you got a new regime and everybody's giving Starkeesian grace, except for people who hate Texas, which is everybody but people in Texas. Um, so that's where we are. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is that 
like the two positions that the Big 12 was the deepest in terms of sending players that were draft eligible is running back and linebacker. When you look at what the NFL, like the positions that are valued in the NFL on the offense, obviously it's quarterback because quarterback's always valued, but wide receivers are becoming more and more important as everybody plays spread offenses. They're throwing it all over the place. You know, the quarterbacks are becoming absolutely phenomenal and edge rushers uh, on the defensive side. The, so the two areas where the Big 12 had a lot of talent that was going to be available are not valuable positions right now in the way that the NFL is played. Um, so it was never really going to be kind of set up for the Big 12 to have a big splash, especially this year, just because they just don't have the guys graduating or the guys leaving to go to the league that are in those positions that are highly coveted right now. You know, we we talk about how we don't think that the NFL values running backs, but being completely honest with all the way the offense is going – there are a lot of wide receivers that play in the in the running back position in the NFL because that's the way running backs are used. They're using the passing game a whole lot more than the running game with how run heavy or you know running back heavy a lot of these Big 12 teams were this year. It's not really a surprise to me that they didn't have a lot of top end wide receivers to throw into the draft for those guys to make it to rosters. Well, and the NFL is ever changing. If you're running back and you can't catch passes, you're, you're not valuable. And for wide receivers, we're seeing less. Like the Patriots at this point are one of the only teams that still has, we have an outside receiver, we have a slot receiver. Like you're seeing receivers move all over the field, inside and outside, and playing from anywhere possible. So versatility, guys who can move around, that's what the NFL wants more and more and more. And I think that the Big 12 is doing a good job, especially on defense, of, of putting guys like that, shifting and moving. I think that's kind of the direction that college is going well. Which So I... Look, the fours, the fives, the fives are going to go in the first round the most time. We're going to see guys go. I think there are going to be some defensive players coming out this 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 year, out of this 2022 season. I think there'll be some more defensive players out of the Big 12 who do pretty well. Um, it is interesting to me, a couple notes. Iowa State went with, with the first player from the Big 12 drafted in Brees Hall. And uh, Brock Purdy as Mr. Irrelevant with the very last pick in the draft going to the San Francisco 49ers. I don't know why I find that funny, but I do. Um, on the Texas thing. I'm not holding any of this against Sark. I am going to say this, and I'm going to go on a little rant. F. Tom Herman. For every single four and five star, every talented kid that showed up at Texas while Tom Herman was there, and he recruited great. The reason that Tom Herman failed, and he had to replace almost his entire staff heading into his final season, they couldn't develop shit. They could not develop those players. You saw these talented kids show up as freshmen and not get any better than they were their freshman year. That's why they're not getting anyone drafted because it's one of two options. Either they literally picked all of the four and five star busts. They just somehow only found all of them. Or you got talented kids and wasted those kids' careers because you could not develop or make them a single bit better. I am to this day salty about Caden Stearns picking Texas over Oklahoma State. I understand why. It's fine. Caden Stearns was a stud as a freshman and he never got better than he was as a freshman. Texas Tom Herman and that staff ruined every single player they recruited. And if I was a University of Texas player who played under Tom Herman and that coaching staff, I would be so royally pissed off at them for ruining my football career because that is exactly what they freaking did. And if Sark and this staff, which is a much better staff than what Tom Herman brought in, can help actually bring in these kids and develop them to the way that they should be to be able to have the football careers that they want, then props to Sark and the football staff he's put together. But for Tom Herman, dude, you suck. You suck, you suck, and you ruin those kids' career. And I don't care as a fan of anybody. I just hate it for the kids that came to Texas, were sold a bag of bullshit, and bought it. And look at where they all are now. Not getting drafted. 
All right, moving on. Because I now I wait. I can't wait till Tom Herman hears this. He's going to be really uh, irritated. Tom Herman, avid listener of the Ten Twelve podcast. You know of course. Like, what? Who's he's, everyone honestly, listens just to listens, the Ten Twelve? Come he on. He listens bro. to anything that anytime somebody says anything about Tom Herman, you it's know, it's like the whole you yeah. know, right? It's it's the whole like you know, searching your own name on Twitter. So it's, he's going to go searching <laughs> all of the podcast show notes for his name, and he's going to find that he's in the show notes here. Tom um, Herman is the Kevin Durant of college football coaching. Okay, I love uh, it. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna shift here for a second because as I was pre- uh, prepping through Twitter, notice a tweet from Dennis Dodd of CBS: Big 12s split into divisions on hold as NCAA proposal aims to remove conference title game restrictions. Those restrictions, of course, are if you are a conference of 12 teams or more, you're required to split into divisions and have the two division winners face off in your conference championship game. It's just the way the rule's been forever. It's not a rule anyone actually cares about. There's no sort of like, this is the way we have always done things. It's just the way they've always done things. And why the Big 12 is looking as they would go to potentially 14 teams in the 23-24 season once it is as, as it is expected to BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston join the conference and Oklahoma and Texas hang out for at least a year, if not two, because at this point we don't know if they're going to be able to afford to get out of here or not despite all the money those two teams have. The Big 12 potentially splitting in divisions because it seemed like an easy way to do things until we actually settle into what this conference is going to be. But division talk is on hold. And we have said here on the Big 12, our whole push is say no to divisions, say yes to the protected rivalries model. Rivalries is the word people get hung up on. It's protected opponents model, whatever you want to call it. But it's a very simple keep nine conference game, three plus six, as opposed to, uh, was it, five plus four. So you play three... Con- t- you play three opponents, three Big 12 opponents every year, and then you rotate through everybody else to fill out the rest of that nine-game conference schedule. This is what I am a proponent of. This is what we push. This is our soapbox that I stand upon and pound my chest like some sort of politician from the 1800s. This is what we want, and I think this is what a lot of fans What I know there's some who want divisions, but the reason that most of them have said they want divisions is because... They're afraid they're going to have to be a West Virginia fan having to go to BYU every other year, which wouldn't happen in any sort of model because it doesn't make any sense. So we're going to talk about that here, Andy and Brandon, because I have not had a Kansas and a West Virginia rep to come on and have this conversation with. We've done Kansas. We've done uh, Texas Tech. or We've done Iowa State. We've done Texas Tech. I believe we've had Kansas State. I've put out some projections as I think it would work. Um, so let me just, Brandon, we haven't talked about this with you. I know I've talked this, about this with Andy. Uh, where, where do you lie on the preference between splitting the new conference into two divisions or having some sort of unique scheduling model with a set collection of opponents, three to four, however you want to do it, and then playing through everybody else? You really informed me on this. You guys, all the things you guys have said have made sense to me because my brain doesn't work that way. I think divisions. You've got the north, the south, the east, the west, whatever you want to call it leaders and legends, whatever. It just makes sense <laughs> oh, to me gosh. to have divisions. Yeah, that was terrible. But when you talk about protected rivalries, the three plus six, that makes way more sense. And it also helps to breed the contention, the hate that West Virginia does not have with anybody in the Big 12 really this year. And so that, not this year, but this, this, whole, this whole time that we've been in the Big 12. So it would be great. And if, if we had a Texas Tech, Iowa State, Cincinnati every single year, uh, UCF, whichever, it doesn't matter. You just, Cincinnati's the no-brainer. That's the obvious one. It has to be in there just because of proximity. We would be much happier with that. We would be much happier with that. And it would give us something to look forward to, the Riot Bowl, the John Denver Bowl, all that stuff. It would be great. And that's what I would want. I, I want three plus six 
but only because you guys brought that up, only because you've been that gospel. I had not thought about that. It never even occurred to me until you suggested it, until you guys put that out there. So yeah, put me in, put me down. In other right, so words, Brandon, you, you, mission you accomplished. Yes. Hey, yes. I just continue to bring people over to the church of the protected rivalries model. That's what we'll, we'll go with the party, the church, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the mm. cult. Um, we do, you know, no weird punch, but we do all get matching t-shirts. Uh, Brandon, you mentioned Texas tech, uh, Cincinnati. I do want to ask you this. So when I put this thing together, when I have in my head, I said, okay, so for West Virginia, I would say Cincinnati, obviously, uh, they are one of the closest teams to UCF. And I, I have, I have, it's been in my belief that West Virginia likes to recruit the state of Florida just because of proximity and the amount of talent there more than they do the state of Texas. So it would make sense to play UCF on an annual basis from a proximity standpoint and a recruiting standpoint. So after Cincinnati and UCF, I was very torn, very torn between Houston because I mean, Dana Holgerson is now there at Houston. How much of that is something that the fans of West Virginia would care about? And then I have also had people mention the Riot Bowl. And I have not, I honestly, I've, I've not been as familiar with the Riot Bowl, but as we talk about this more and more, I have some Iowa State fans who think it's very important. I've had some West Virginia fans who think it's very important. And I've had fans of both sides who are like, couldn't care less. So from your standpoint, how do you feel about West Virginia Houston? How do you feel about the Riot Bowl? Is, it, is the Riot Bowl something you guys feel is an actual a rivalry because I've really been trying to get down to the idea of does West Virginia have a rivalry in the current makeup of the big 12, a team that they do want to play year in and year out for one reason or another. Is there a, not a rival because obviously that's Pitt, that's Virginia tech. That is to some extent Penn state. And I'm, you know, Maryland. And I love that you guys are playing Pitt this year. I cannot wait for that game all by itself on a Thursday night. Um, but is there a rivalry in the Big 12 that you as a fan base you believe have that you, you feel like is actually important and something that could grow and build upon? Uh, no. <laughs> That's the short answer. The short answer is no. We like beating Texas. We have yet to beat Oklahoma. So those games are important while they last. But there's nobody. The Riot Bowl is fun. It's fun. And we respect Iowa State. We respect um, what they've done out there. That said, when Matt Campbell's gone, if he's ever gone, what is Iowa State? You know, they're not somebody that we're looking forward to playing all the time. And it's the same thing for Dana Holgerson in Houston. You know, as long as Holgerson's at Houston, then, yeah, we want to beat Dana Holgerson in Houston. Not so much because Dana did us dirty or anything, because it was kind of a mutual party in the end. Um, but because Dana Holgerson said some, said some disparaging things about our state, about the state of the program when he left. Uh, but that's just while he's there. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't expect Dana to be there if the opportunity to leave exists. Uh, if, he, if he has the opportunity for a bigger job or an NFL job or any of that kind of thing, not saying that would happen anytime soon, but if it were to happen, Dana would be gone. Dana's not one of those guys you look at as a lifer or loyal. Um, so, yeah, we definitely like to play Houston under those circumstances. But besides that, Cincinnati because of proximity, UCF because of proximity, and then I would say the, the Riot Bowl would be third in the, the way the Big 12 is currently constituted or, or will be in the future constituted. Yeah, and I think really what it comes down to for these is if there's not already pre-existing rivalries between particular schools, it's very dangerous, I think, to try to create rivalries based off of current personnel issues because, like, like Brandon was talking about, like, you know, the – the rivalry with Houston is entirely predicated on Holgerson. If Holgerson leaves, there's not going to be that fire anymore. And so 
You know, it's like Kansas hates Missouri, not because of any one particular coach um, or one particular player or anything like that. Kansas hates those players, those coaches, because they went to Missouri, because there was already that huge rivalry there. Similar to how, you know, Kansas State fans hate anybody that has anything to do with Kansas because it's they were at the school at Kansas. So if you're trying to build it as a rivalry, there has to be the potential for some sort of conflict that would allow them to hate each other. So you either need some sort of, um, you know, incidents in the past between two particular schools that, you know, one like one side really, really likes and the other side really, really hates. You can build some hate off of that. If, if that's what you're going for is like the, the hatred. The other way to build a quote unquote protected rivalry would be to find schools that have a mutual respect for each other, but absolutely hate to lose to each other because you can build those sorts of things, you know? So like, Philip, I know you've been talking about Iowa state and Oklahoma state. Like that is one that I don't know that I would consider that a rivalry right now, but if we're looking for, you know, the, the situation right to build a rivalry, I think that one makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, so like, I definitely think that there are a lot of opportunities there that West Virginia potentially could, but I think if you're going to try to construct the rivalry out of nowhere, you, you probably want to try to find a school that has a very, very different. Um, I'm trying to think of the best way to phrase this, you know, like where the, the culture at the school is completely different. Um, I can think of a few in the big 12. The problem is I don't know that it would grow to be such an issue. Right. Um, like Iowa state and West Virginia, they are very, very similar when you look at, you know, how passionate, the fans are like they have a mutual respect for each other at this point I don't think either of them particularly like to lose to each other but that's going to be a harder one that I think to turn it into kind of a hatred thing if that's what you're looking for in your rivalries if instead you're just looking for you know really really good matchups that we want to see all the time that nobody's going to want to lose then I do think that the right bowl is a really good opportunity for one you're talking culturally I polar opposites WVU very often top five party school in the nation BYU I mean not not <laughs> pretty not partied up as you might say the i think that's a technical term for it over in uh provo so that culturally would would be awesome i think we'd like to beat mormons out there but in a football game that's all i mean just in a football game uh a basketball game possibly but yeah besides that i don't see any other cultural you know issues in the big 12 for wvu so the Mountaineers versus the campus in the mountains. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so there's, there's two conversations. First off, before I get into the, the rivalry, I use the term rivalry because it's an easy term to use. Protected rivalry is the, it was originally the concept was developed to make sure that we kept some of the rivalries that existed in right. the new Big Twelve together. Uh, UCF and Cincinnati would still play each other because they played quite a bit and quite often in the American. It would make sense to keep those, but it's not the only thing done because again, not everybody has three teams that they view as rivals for again for west virginia one of the reasons to play ucf proximity and recruiting there's other reasons to pick the three teams that you want to play annually besides just a rival it's just easy to say rivalry because you got to come up with a catchy phrase right like it's in everything in politics if you can't make it in like three to four words it's going to die quickly so from that standpoint that is the idea behind why you would pick the teams that you would pick now as far as a rivalry goes i understand the houston thing with dana but a rivalry has to start somewhere. Uh, and you bring Kansas, Missouri. You guys have hated each other for, for years. Oh, yeah. Something started that, right? Baylor and TCU played years ago. It wasn't really a rivalry. They TCU joined the Big 12. And then Gary 
and he who shall not be named loathe each other's very existence. And suddenly the rivalry was brought back. So TCU and Baylor hated each other. And then they have built upon that. Art left. Gary was still there. But then TCU occasion. Then they had some incredibly great games. Like, oh, was it 2014? Um, you I think had, you're downplaying, though, the actual level of that rivalry. Because if you talk to any TCU fans. No, no, no. But, but fans, it, 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 they've TCU always re- hated each other. Right. But it. It kind of rekindled. It did rekindle, not just because they rejoined the Big 12, but because of how much Gary and Art hated each other. And then you've just built upon it with games. The, the, the point I'm making is rivalries have to start for a reason. We can't talk about rivalries like Pitt and West Virginia that existed forever. Like many of these rivalries existed forever. You can't, it, you can't just force a rivalry, but something has to begin. them. And so the point with Houston of like, well, once Dana leaves, it can start with Dana with Houston and West Virginia. And then there's a game that West Virginia loses that they didn't want to lose to Houston, and now Houston gets acts like a bunch of jerks, and now West Virginia's pissed off. And then they return the favor. And so rivalries are born over time. So, but they have to start somewhere. So they, I understand, like for West Virginia, and this is the thing for West Virginia, you just don't have history with the Big Twelve teams. And so far, there hasn't been specific. And that was the next question for you, Brandon. Was like, what are games that you recall where? And let's set Texas and Oklahoma aside because they're leaving, and because everybody wants to beat Texas and Oklahoma. We got a rival. Everyone wants to be Texas and Oklahoma. Let's set those aside. They're also leaving, so I don't care. It's more an issue of like, if you were going to try and form a rivalry, you know, we've got the rival. It's a lot of fun. What would it take for that to become a rival? Or are there games where you're like, we don't like them because of this game that we lost? Does that exist? Or I, I think I'm building to this point of like, I'm almost irritated at this point with West Virginia fans for the like, ACC is not going to take you. They had the chance to take you. They're never going to take you. The Big 12 save your ass from the American or the Mac. So how about showing a little bit of appreciation and act like you're part of the family instead of being the grumpy guy who sits complaining about the ex-girlfriend that dumped him years ago and you just had to marry this other chick instead. You're welcome. You're part of the family. <laughs> Buy in a little bit. Find some teams you don't like. Tell you what, I'm an Oklahoma State fan. We thought it would be fun with West Virginia and Dana. And then we just beat you all the time so it wasn't get to be a rivalry anymore. And then we beat you again when you had your big season. I can happy to build this up. I can be a jerk. It's fun. Um, but I guess the, the so for West Virginia fans, it's like <laughs> you, if you want to build some rivalries in the Big 12, you almost have to put some buy-in. Like you have to give as much as you want an opposing fan base to give back for a rivalry to be born. And I just don't feel like the West Virginia fan base has been invested enough in the conference to allow a, a rivalry to form of, of any kind with any of the teams that are here. Yeah, I think it has to do with a decade of not mattering. It hasn't mattered for a decade, maybe longer. What is it, 2022? Yeah, it's been longer. That was really been relevant nationally. Uh, we've had moments where we thought we could matter in conference, and then we blew the game. Um, and I think what you're seeing more than and more than more than just apathy about being in the Big 12, you see, you're seeing West Virginia University fans who are just apathetic about the program and the state of the program. People who are not willing to invest in Neil Brown's trusting decline, or now they're saying time decline. I think that's part of what you're seeing. Like that's part of why we're not, we don't hate anybody is because we haven't done enough to matter. Uh, you look at, you, so Oklahoma State is a great example. I, I thought that would be a great rivalry. It felt like a back and forth. And then I go look at the record. And it's like, nope, they've beaten us seven years in a row in football, right? Like you look at TCU, the game where Clint Trigger gets his helmet ripped off and there's no penalty called and he's not the same for the rest of the season. Or the offensive pass interference called on David Sills 
in 2018, I believe, uh, when we had a chance, a chance to come back in that game. There are moments against TCU that I look and I say, yeah, we could have a rivalry with TCU. Uh, Boykin um, getting dapped up by Dana Holgerson on the sideline because what he did to us on a single play or throughout the game. There are moments with TCU that I, I could say, yeah, we, we don't like the, losing to the Horned Frogs. There have been moments where we keep losing to the Horned Frogs uh, that we shouldn't have lost or that we didn't like the way we lost. But I think it's just – I'm, I'm speaking, of course, in part about myself, my own fandom, but also what I've observed is there are people just aren't buying in. And if you're not invested in your own team, you're certainly not going to be invested in another team. Pitt gets our blood boiling no matter what. It doesn't matter what the records are. You throw them out the window, and that's real. Throw them out the window. I know people say that all the time when it comes to WVU Pitt. It's true. Virginia Tech gets our blood boiling, especially if you're from the eastern or southern part of the state. Um, the Big 12, there's nothing that gets our motor running. And the, the big deal is that West Virginia doesn't get our, our motor running. When we get that going, when we look like we have potential, when we capitalize on some of the success we've had in recruiting very recently, then I think you'll see a different uh, response. And also, uh, I don't know that anybody hates us. And when people hate you, that changes it too. You know, the old Big East days, Syracuse hated us. Pitt hated us. Virginia Tech hated us. So many of the Miami, their fans didn't really care about us, but they had a lot to say about who we were as a people, as a program. I don't think anybody really does that in the Big 12 the way that they've done other places. And again, I'll say it's because we haven't mattered. And I hate saying that, but it's the truth. So wait a minute. You're telling me that the fact that the Charlie Weiss-led Kansas Jayhawks beat West Virginia was not enough to spark a rivalry? No. (laughs) Good, because I would think that there'd be something extremely wrong with you if it was, so. No, I mean, again, you look internally. At that game, we're not looking at Kansas or Charlie Weiss. We're looking what in the world is going on in Montana when we lose to Kansas? Like, that was just – that was a low – it was bad. I mean, it's not as bad as Hope, Texas. Hopefully that won't be something you can actually ask yourself anymore in the very near future. But No, I wasn't sure last year, man. I wasn't sure. And Leopold, like, I like what he's doing at Kansas. So, we'll see. If you want to talk about the climb, the real climb looks like it's in Kansas, not in West Virginia. Um, Okay. So, Brandon, glad you're on board. Andy, got to ask you now. Obviously, we're sa- saving the Sunflower Showdown. Oh, of um, course. Like, if that one doesn't get protected, then you just need to throw the entire thing out the window. Of course. Of course. Of course. Yeah, we're not going to let the two in-state teams. Like, you know what? But I am curious. Uh, Jamie tried to pick Kansas for Iowa State just so that they could play Kansas every year, you know, for the easy dub. Um, I'm curious, Andy. I haven't heard the, the teams from your perspective. We do the protected rivalries. Everybody gets three plus six. What are the three teams that you're saving? You know, it's actually kind of funny because I actually would probably pick Iowa State as one of them for, for KU. Um, you know, there is a a somewhat of a of a kinship with both of those teams being absolutely atrocious for so long in the Big 12 for, for quite a while. Um, and I know that there's a lot of Kansas fans that allow the um, annoyance that they have with Iowa State basketball to carry over to the football field as well. Um you know, the other, it's really hard though to pick someone, right, for from everyone else. Because again, you know, Kansas football hasn't really mattered too much in, you know, the last decade. Surprise, surprise. Um, and so, you know, beating anybody that you can has been absolutely phenomenal, but there's not, it's like, it's, it's too hard to find new people to hate when 
you hate your team probably more because they haven't been any good. So <laughs> like it, it's one of those there's, there's some kinship here between Kansas and West Virginia. I fans. know exactly. Like, it's hard it's to hate others. We don't care about, about ourselves. Yeah. You know what it's, but it's like, it's so it's, it's one of those things where I think that a lot of Kansas fans were actually kind of happy when the big 12 kind of expanded because it gave them an opportunity to try to build rivalries with some of the new teams. Um, Surprisingly, I think the team, though, that Kansas has kind of developed somewhat of a rivalry with the most would be TCU. You know, those games for a long time were really close, no matter how good TCU was compared to KU. Um, you know, there was the one game um, before the, I think it was like 14 positive yards game that Kansas had when they got demolished by TCU. The year before, Kansas was up in that game late in the game. Like that was the one they had an opportunity to actually go ahead and pull an upset. Um, and even the two games prior to that, like, for the first four years that TCU was in the Big 12, those TCU-Kansas games, for whatever reason, were inexplicably close. And, you know, Kansas always felt like they had an opportunity going into that game. If they had won some of those, I think you would have seen a rivalry develop between the two teams. But Kansas wasn't ever really actually able to get over it. Um, you know, I, I do think that the butt fumble game kind of helped a little bit because I know there's a bunch of TCU fans that still get mad every single time you bring that game up. And so, you know, potentially you could build something off of that. But... I'm having a hard time imagining which one of the teams like Kansas is getting ready to play Houston, you know, for, for two years straight um, in the non-conference. Well, I, I should say the second one's probably is not going to be a non-conference game anymore because, you know, they've already got that kind of set up. Um, so, you know, I, like I could see the argument to add like UCF um, or, you know, add one of the new people, Houston, BYU, someone like that. Um, but the only ones that really jump out to me are K-State, and Iowa State, and if I'm picking one, I think just TCU is probably the one that I would want to play. Not not even necessarily for anything other than the fact that the games have been somewhat competitive, you know, and there's been some really weird moments in those games. And you know me, I love weird football. I mean, as a Kansas fan, you have to. Uh, I mean, it makes sense for Kansas to want to play a Texas team. Everyone's going to want to have access to Texas. So, I mean, Kansas wanting to play a Texas team every year, you want to be able to have – easier access by playing a team from texas and visiting there every other year um i think that makes sense uh funny enough going through thanks to winsipedia love this site so much kansas has winning records against kansas state and iowa state <laughs> uh you're 3-0 against houston all time and whenever kansas and ucf face off in the big 12 will be the first time that kansas and ucf have ever faced off in football so that will be uh, a very interesting situation all right i think kansas state iowa state tcu makes sense uh Brandon, to confirm, let's see, you had uh, Texas Tech, Cincinnati, and I think UCF, you went Texas Tech. What You mentioned Texas Tech, so I'm curious why Texas Tech for West Virginia. Well, just, I think, I think again, there's a lot of similarities culturally. Being, you know, just being in the middle of nowhere. And then, of course, you have the John Denver connection, mm. John De where John Denver went to Texas Tech, but he wrote the song about West Virginia. Uh, so there's always that claim to who he belongs to. Ooh, the John Denver Bowl. Like I said, mm. but I but like I said, I would prefer the Riot Bowl over that in UCF and Cincinnati because of just geography. Okay, so I I, I mean, I think Iowa State, Cincinnati, and and UCF make a lot of sense for West Virginia. I think that's a great three teams for West Virginia to play annually. We're gonna we're gonna put all this together again. I'll I'll match it all up. Current and former athletes, members of the athletic department, and of course, the best fans in the country all make up a very special group we like to call the Cyclone Family. 
Join me, Jamie Steyer Johnson, as I bring you closer to the people that make Iowa State unique each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. Some names you may know, while others may be new to you, but one thing's for sure, this is one family reunion you won't want to miss. Each week on the Cyclone Family Podcast. There's only one place to get the best daily audio coverage of the Kansas Jayhawks, and that's here on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Join me, your host, Andy Mitz, every weekday as we go through all the biggest stories affecting your favorite college teams, whether that's football, basketball, tennis, soccer, baseball, softball, volleyball, or any other team that the Kansas Jayhawks put forward. If there's a story to cover, we grab a guest from across the sports landscape and bring that story to you. Find it now wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Got a little time here, uh, and we talk a little West Virginia again. Uh, the quarterback situation in the Big 12 going to be very interesting this year. A lot of new names on the for their teams. Obviously, we know Spencer Sanders for Oklahoma State. It feels like Max Duggan will probably be the starter for TCU. Very familiar with him there. Uh, for Kansas, I mean... Jalen Daniels. Jalen Daniels. It's, it's, it's his job yeah. to lose. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um my opinion at this point on Texas Tech is it's probably Tyler Shuck, who we've seen for a couple of games. But at this point with Texas Tech, I mean, we've got a few people who've started. But we're going to see a lot of new names under center in the Big 12 this year. And a lot of them because of transfers, right? Now, obviously, Iowa State, Hunter Decker is just going to start for the first time. Blake Shapin, we've seen a couple of times. We know he is the starter for Baylor. Um, look out. That just makes Baylor even more dangerous next season. But for the Kansas State, Adrian Martinez transferring in from Nebraska. Oklahoma is getting Dylan Gabriel, who started 25 games for UCF. Um, for Texas, Quinn Ewers, who has not started any games, but seems like the likely starter for Texas, unless Hudson Carter is just somehow phenomenal in the offseason. And, of course, for West Virginia, JT Daniels transferring in after uh, multiple starts at UCS and some games at Georgia. Um Transfer quarterbacks, very interesting. I think it's an, uh, super weird. They can be an immediate injection of, of actual awesomeness to help your team, or they could just be some off-season fun that don't do a whole lot for you. Uh, Brandon, I, I want to talk a little bit of JT Daniels. Obviously, when, when he announced he was transferring to West Virginia, I mean, it seemed like, for the most part, it felt like that might be the case, but it's been seems like it's a really exciting time for West Virginia fans to get somebody like with a name like JT Daniels. We could talk about his record and how well he's done, but to get somebody of that caliber who was a five-star um, recruit who's played at USC in Georgia to come to West Virginia, there's got to be a lot of excitement. I'm really curious um, from your perspective and from what you've heard. I mean, what is the vibe with JT Daniels? How are West Virginia fans feeling about him? And what are how does he change expectations for you guys this year? So there are people who believe JT Daniels is the key to fighting for a spot in the conference championship game. There are people who feel like JT Daniels, if he was on the team last year, West Virginia would have been in the conference championship game. JT Daniels obviously has the talent that we've been missing at that spot for at least three seasons now. The trouble is, does he have the other pieces around him and can he stay healthy? That's been his issue. At, that was his issue at USC. That was his issue at Georgia. Um, people make a big deal about the fact that he couldn't take the starting job back from Stetson Bennett, but then Stetson Bennett went out and won a national championship. So really, to me, that's not a good knock. I don't care if he was a walk-on. The guy won a national championship as the quarterback for the, for the Bulldogs. JT Daniels is definitely an upgrade over what we have. The spring game showed it. We've got guys who might be ready in a couple of years to lead the team, but 
Will Crowder looked like the best of the bunch. He's not ready. Not for what West Virginia wants to have happen, which is win a minimum of eight games. I don't think West Virginia can win more than nine games, JT Daniels or not. And that would be best case scenario, every break going your way, every penalty, every ball bounce, everything that you need to win games going your way. West Virginia's ceiling to me is nine wins, which is crazy. I'm thinking more six and seven, six or seven wins, uh, including bowl game, because I'm not sure about the offensive line, and I still don't know what I think about the wide receivers or the secondary super paper thin. JT Daniels, to me, doesn't do enough. He's not Michael Vick. He's not a dual threat. He's not one of those guys who can change, change a game by himself. He's got to have the pieces and parts around him. Then you put him in, and he makes everybody better. So we'll have to wait and see. There, I'm not one of those guys, as you can tell, who's who's like he's putting us in the conference championship game. I have a lot more realistic realistic expectations. Um, the other thing is, JT. If we're just talking about this coming season, he's got two seasons of eligibility. But we're talking about just this season coming up. If he does what we want him to do, this will be the last season that he plays for West Virginia. If he if he does what we want him to do. If Graham Harrell's offense is as prolific as he talked about it being, then this will be the last time we see him. So I really hope we get it done. I really hope we can beat Pitt, Tech, and Oklahoma. Everybody else, I'm like, in Texas, of course. And everybody else, I'm like, you know, if we get it, we get it. But the climb is still climbing. All right, so I'm going to ask you this then. As we mentioned, we got the, the four transfers, JT Daniels at West Virginia. Uh, we've got Quinn Ewers at Texas, Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, and uh, – uh, Adrian Martinez at Kansas State. Brandon, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I want you to rank the four transfer quarterbacks on who you think is the most successful. I don't care about team record. I want team record. I want to put who do you think is the most successful first or fourth of the transfers who joined the Big 12 this year? Give them to me again. They got Quinn Ewers. I would say number Quinn one. Quinn Ewers at Texas. Texas is going to a, he's going to take the biggest jump. They're, they're going to take the biggest jump as a team. So I think Quinn Ewers will be part of that. And I, I put him number one. And you got Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma from UCF. You got Adrian Martinez transferring in from Nebraska to Kansas State. And of course, JT Daniels at uh, at West Virginia. So Adrian Martinez is last because I've seen him play and I don't think he's any good. And I know Nebraska didn't help, but I don't think Adrian Martinez is any good. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, Quinn Ewers, those two guys have the most upside talent. Um, but the people people and pieces around them. I don't know what Brent Venables is going to do. I don't know how well this team's going to perform offensively. Um, but just he's got – they've got more talent there. And I just think they'll be better, not just record-wise, but because you have the pieces into the puzzle to make you a complete picture. JT Daniels, I put third because I don't think he has the pieces. I don't think he has what he needs as far as explosive playmakers in the receiving room or even in the running back room. Um, and then Martinez because I just don't think he's that <laughs> – I don't think he's very good. All right, Andy, same question, man. Yeah, this is a tough one because like you said, like a lot of this has to do with who they have around them. And also I do think a lot of this is not even necessarily like what they have or what their team has, but who do they run up against and at what point? Like, you, you know, taking a big leap forward from one year to the next, it's just as much about what happens with your opponents as it is to what you do differently. So I do think, that Ewers is probably in the best situation um, because of the wholesale changes. But I don't know if we're talking about for this year, there's so many things changing at Texas, so many moving pieces that it might be difficult for Ewers to be able to influence the situation as well as he would normally be able to. Cause it's not like you're just, you know, 
bringing in a quarterback and plugging him in and it can make everybody better. You have an entire like huge group of people that are all changing your, you know, you've, you've got a huge philosophy change. You've got a lot of stuff that's happening even from last year. Like it was Sark's first year last year. The wheels completely fell off for them last year. They had to change a lot of things in the off season. And so while I do think yours is going to take a big step or allow them to take a big step forward, I don't know how big that step's going to be because of how many things have to change and everything else going on in the rest of the conference. So I would probably put yours first almost by default, just because I do think that, you know, they have the most potential for things to change. Um, I do think that JT Daniels is probably second. I'd probably put him over Gabriel. Um, I just, I'm worried about a step back from Oklahoma trying to transfer to Venables um, and how Gabriel will be able to take advantage of the situation. So if we're trying to isolate quarterbacks, Oklahoma, I think they're going to see their biggest leaps on the defensive end because Venable's coming in, him being a defensive coach. Um, so I don't know that Gabriel's going to get quite the bump that you would expect. I do agree. Adrian Martinez, like, uh, I don't, I honestly don't know why, you know, Kansas state fans seem to think that he's going to be like lead them to, you know, super, super fantastic season because of Adrian Martinez, because he was bad at Nebraska and you cannot blame all of that on Nebraska. And it's not like Kansas state went out and upgraded all of the skill position players surrounding Adrian Martinez, to give him a whole bunch of weapons. Like that was their problem last year. They did not have a lot of weapons. And while they have a few more this year, I don't know that they've significantly upgraded a lot of those. So it's going to be difficult. I think for Martinez to take advantage of his situation in a lot of ways, I'm not saying that Kansas State's not going to be a you know a good team this year, but if it is, I don't think it's going to be because of the offense, and I don't think it's going to be because of Martinez specifically. All right, allow me to be the dissenting and differentiating voice here in this conversation. I will put Gabriel one just because I think he's the most experienced, and he does walk in. I know it's a new head coach at Oklahoma. I know you don't have some new staff, but there's enough carryover, and I am buying the idea that they're going to have a tougher mentality to some extent in Oklahoma. I will buy Gabriel just because I think he's the most experienced of all the transfers. Um, I have, I'm, I'm sorry. I have Martinez second. I do blame Nebraska way more because I look, there are obviously issues with Martinez and health is some of them, but I like what Kansas state's going to have back at offensive line. I don't think Kansas state is going to force Martinez to try and do as much as Nebraska forced him to do. And I think bringing some of that pressure down is actually going to allow Martinez to be a better and more efficient quarterback. I have Martinez second. I think Kansas state's my dark horse. If a new team hits the big 12 title game that hasn't gotten there since it came back, like we have seen every year since it started um, a diff, a different team has made it or a team has made it for the first time, the big 12 title game since it came back every Don't year. do it. Kansas Phillip. state's my dark horse. Oh, right you yep. gotta be kidding yep. me. Seriously. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's me. Uh, so Martinez is a second. I'm putting you as third. Now here's the difference. Total season. By the end of the season, I could very much see yours being the top one. The guy hasn't started a game in college yet. Game two is Alabama. I get the feeling this is going to be for Texas, similar to that year that Alabama started the season with USC, where they came out and just destroyed USC. It took USC a few games to rebound. And then USC had a very nice season. I could see Texas this year coming out, getting smashed by Alabama in game two, having a loss to like Texas Tech two games later just because they're still reeling from the body blow that was Alabama, and then turning things around. Quinn Ewers is, he was at Ohio State for like three months. He hasn't been at Texas that long. Like, 
I think it's going to take them some time. I think Texas will be a better team by the end of the season. I think it's going to be hard to judge in the beginning of the year when what Alabama is going to do to them, what Alabama is going to do to them in week two. Um, I put JT Daniels fourth, but it's not, I don't have a big gap here. It's not like he's a distant fourth in the rankings here as I would put the transfer quarterbacks. I think one through four is, is fairly close. And I do think JC Daniels will help West Virginia a lot. I got a lot of questions at West Virginia just on the the defense with all the, the guys they've had leaving the transfer portal. And I, it's not like I've seen West Virginia bring a lot of guys in. So I certainly hope that that's um, addition by subtraction by West Virginia. And they're really feeling good about the guys they got. I know Andy's got to get out of here. Um, I want to talk a lot more about West Virginia. We're going to have all summer to do so. Uh, do yourselves a favor. Check out every show in the network. That, of course, includes our good friend Brandon Phoenix's show, The Raspy Voice Kids. Brandon, plug that stuff. So we're the Raspy Voice Kids. We cover West Virginia University, but we cover more than that. We do pop culture every week. We start the show that way. That way, if you don't care about West Virginia, you can still enjoy our podcast. You can find us at Raspy Voice Kids everywhere. That's on the internet. Um, the internet. That's on Twitter. That's on Instagram. Uh, that's on every podcast service that exists. Out. I am. I also hate Pitt because no matter what you know about me, you need to know that I also hate Pitt. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and elsewhere as I also hate Pitt. My brother Jeremy Phoenix, J N Fiend. Check him out. P H E E N and that. And uh, get at us because we're a lot of fun. We like to have new people all the time. Yes, everywhere on Al Gore's internet. Yeah, the pop culture segments are freaking awesome, folks. Go and check out Raspy Voice Kids, whether you're a West Virginia fan or not. Plus. It's good to know about the other teams in the conference that are sticking around. Andy, Rock Chalk yeah. Podcast, my friend. Of course, yes. Uh, so we were on a little bit of a break, had some uh, family stuff that kind of got in the way. But we are coming back this week and have a lot to talk about because there's a lot of stuff that's kind of happened for the Jayhawks recently. Um, but you can follow us on Twitter at Rock Chalk Pod. You can follow me personally at Andy Mitz 12 um, Yeah, lots of fun stuff going on. Uh, yeah, the uh, wide receiver who bounced and then did yeah, came and then back. came back. That's uh, I'm sorry, that's awesome. who who said he was bouncing, deleted the tweet, and then finally decided not to leave. So Lawrence Arnold, big uh, uh, that is very much a big get for Kansas in many ways. I think. Yes. Uh, check out every show in the ten twelve network. We are ten shows strong. Do yourself a favor, try them all. Follow us on Twitter at ten twelve network t e n the number twelve the word network ten twelve pod on Instagram. Do us a favor, leave us a rating and a review, five stars, please. I will read the review that we did got not today. I'll save that one. Um, leave a reviews for every show, if, especially if you're a fan. If you listen on iTunes or SoundCloud or Good Pods, leave ratings, leave reviews. We all appreciate it. Uh, it does really help the shows out. Uh, we will be back. I could, I don't know when I'm just saying like, we'll have episodes, but there's a kid coming and I don't know when she's going to be like, I'm ready. So we'll just play it by ear. Podcast Network.